0: by which we anticipate the celebration of Jesus's coming his birth and also his second coming. Maybe you've heard on the radio. I heard it this week uh, on uh, Caleb. I think uh, this uh, anecdote, I I presume it's true. I have no reason to doubt it that um, joy to the world, the familiar Christmas carol joy to the world. The Lord has come is in fact not was not written initially for Christmas was written about the second coming of Christ. I'd never heard that before. That makes me all the more enthralled to sing that song because what a beautiful reminder that at Christmas, we not only celebrate that Christ has come, but that Christ shall come again. And when he comes again, he who made all sinners righteous through the flow of his blood will make all things right through the rule of his reign. That's the promise of Christmas. Jesus didn't come just to be the cutest baby in a manger that you ever saw. He came to be the bloodied man of burdens and sorrows on the cross. He came to be the one who rose with light and power to roll back the stone and walk out of the grave. All of us are headed into a grave, but Jesus has come out of one and he says To all we fellow travelers to the end, he says, if you believe in me, though you die, yet will you live. And he also says, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I'm doing that, it means I'm coming back for you. I'm coming back to draw you to myself. That's what we anticipate at Advent as well. So today is the fourth and final of those Sundays. But it's not the last in our Advent series because I'm going to be uh, preaching further on this topic of patience in a season of waiting on Christmas Eve and even on Christmas morning. But today I want to talk about patience for the present. Will you turn to the person next to you and say, patience for the present? (laughs) Why was it when I was six or seven years old, why was it even eight, nine, ten, as I was... A little kid going to elementary school Monday through Friday when my alarm went off at 615 and especially in the winter when it was still dark and I my, my bedroom, this sounds like I was treated poorly, but it was a nice room, but it was subterranean. It was in a basement. It was a well-decorated basement. <laughs> So my bedroom was actually partially underground. We had a window and about three quarters of it was dirt. And then there was a little strip of sky. You imagine how dark that window was at 6.15 on a winter morning. Monday through Friday, that alarm would go off and I would think, I can't get up, I can't get up, I can't get up. But Saturday, I was awake at 4.45 because there were cartoons on Saturday. For those of you who are too young to realize that that used to be a thing, and for some of you who are too old to realize that that was a thing, that was a thing for a while. Saturday morning cartoons, my brother and I would be up so early that the farm report was still on. We would be waiting for, you know, the farmer's almanac sponsored by the local seed company to come to an end. We don't care about the weather. We want cartoons. Where are the super friends? I would be awake so early for that. But why? Because there was something that I wanted. And of all the mornings, and not not only that, a winter morning at that Christmas morning. I mean, we hardly went to sleep on Christmas Eve. Now, many in the room are of the tradition, as many around the world are, that the primary celebration for for you and particularly for children opening their presents is Christmas Eve, and that's a wonderful tradition, and I've got nothing against it, but in my home, we waited mostly to Christmas morning. We were allowed to open one present Christmas Eve. But Christmas morning, that was the grand slam. That was the bonanza. That was when all the good stuff was gonna come rolling out from under that tree and things that hadn't even been there. You never knew. We had to wait downstairs because our living room was upstairs. As I said, I was in the basement. I had to wait in the basement, in the dark, in the cold and my brother and I would take turns using our pillowcases to pretend to be Santa's sack, and we would try and distribute gifts to each other, old socks and our slippers, you know, just in the anticipation of we're going to get to come up. Can we come up yet? No. My parents would be setting things up, but then you'd come around the corner, and there, there you would see the bike, the surfboard, whatever it was. You could, you could measure our advancement through the years, my brothers and I, based on whatever gifts were there that we were most excited about, toys in the young days, and as we got, older more mature things but always that sense of anticipation expectation I can hardly sleep I can hardly wait because I was so impatient for the presents one of the gifts now there were a lot of things that I always loved about Christmas I always loved the songs I always loved the food as maybe you can see I always loved the fellowship and the family time and the tree and the lights and the trimmings and the trappings the stories and the movies and the services. I loved going to church at Christmas time. I loved, we had boughs of uh, of uh, evergreen all around and you could smell the fragrance of it in the air. I loved all of that. So I wasn't somebody, I don't think even as a child that was totally engrossed in this sort of, you know, often derided capitalistic notion of Christmas, but who doesn't love presents? I mean, it's wonderful to get a present. And as a child, the anticipation of that was so extreme that sometimes it was very difficult to wait. In talking about patience for the present today, I want to play on the various meanings of that word. As I mentioned even earlier in our ministry time, God has gifts. You may have recognized that many of the things that I said came out of Scripture, and one of them is that God gives gifts. In fact, the spiritual gifts of God are discussed in great detail and very uh, strategically informatively, in fact, with a degree of urgency in the New Testament. The early believers recognized that it was impossible to live the life that Jesus was calling us to live with all the joy, with all the strength, with all the patient, persistent faith that he describes without receiving that from God. That in other words, it can't be ginned up in our own enthusiasm and it can't be mined out of our own strength. It actually is something that we experience in our points of weakness, in our places of challenge, in the tests and the trials that come. Those are actually the gift wrapping. Every burden that you presently have has a bow on it and a tag that says from God. I don't mean that he's the author of your problem. I mean that he's the author of the way in which that problem can become a gift. It can become an opportunity for you to experience God's goodness in the present moment. But sometimes the goodness of God is the voice that says, not yet, just a little longer. I'm getting something ready. I'm preparing something. If you came into it right now, you wouldn't appreciate it as much as you will by waiting. I've said before, if Christmas came every day, kids wouldn't be that excited about the gifts. They really wouldn't. In fact, look at our culture. Christmas does come every day. Amazon's delivering boxes every day to our doors. Do you look at our society today, especially in this part of the world that has more, 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 more than almost any other society of people that's ever lived anywhere at any time. Are we happier, are we wiser, are we really richer? Is a society, what I see, and I'm sad to say sometimes I can see it in myself, is the more we have, the more we want. The more we have, the less we appreciate because we have and have and have and get and grab and want. Sometimes, What we really need is to have not or to wait, to learn the value of the present. There's a couple of ways in which the present moment can be a problem. One of them is, as I described, when there's something good that's about to come and you can't hardly wait to get it. That's little Courtney on Christmas morning, awake at 4.45, just going, come on, come on, come on. I know there's good stuff up there, but what if I came upstairs and it was all gone? Did you ever see that Simpsons episode where Bart stole the gifts or burned, ended up burning everything down? Christmas is gone. What are we going to do? How about the Grinch who stole Christmas? The difference between those two stories is that the Who's Down in Whoville kept on adoring Christmas. The idea of the message is that there's something greater than the gifts under the tree. It's the baby in the cradle. It's the man on the cross. It's the heart of the Lord. But if I come up from my little basement room and I see no gifts under the tree, maybe my jaw drops and my heart sinks. And sometimes the problem of the present moment is we thought something was going to turn out one way and it turns out a different one. We thought something was being answered and it turns out that it was being delayed or denied. So there's waiting for something good that you are sure is going to come. There's waiting for something that you were sure was going to come and it didn't. There's waiting for something and you're not sure it's going to come and you can't hardly stand the uncertainty of it. We experience this with God a lot. I think that you can do this, God, but I don't know if you want to. And so I'm hoping that I get from you what I want, but I'm doubting that I will. And I'm wondering, how can I get it myself? How can I arrange to get the result that I want in case God doesn't come through? I want to put out a call to you right now. Dump all of your in case God doesn't come through thoughts. Get them out of the house. Clear them out of your mind. God never fails to come through. If God doesn't do what you wanted him to do in the time that you wanted him to do it in the way that you wanted him to do it, he has a better plan. And it starts with you asking God, what do you want? How do you want to do it? Sometimes what you discover is that the one thing that God is waiting for in order to fulfill all those hopes and and requests is for you to first say, but what do you want? Sometimes patience for the present has to do with enduring a moment that you don't know how you're going to endure. And every year at Christmas time, there are people who are having the first Christmas in a cycle of grief or worry or problems. I lost my house. I lost my job. I lost my marriage this year. And now it's Christmas. It's a time when I'm supposed to be happy. And it just puts all brighter of a spotlight on how I'm not or what I've lost. And if it's the loss of a person, if it's the first Christmas without dad or mom or a spouse or a child. As many of you know, yesterday I was at the memorial for my nephew who died uh, before his 31st birthday. His 31st birthday would have been uh, Thursday. We had his memorial yesterday. I was there and held him the night he was born. I never imagined I would be attending his memorial, much less 10 days before Christmas, five days before Christmas. And I'm not alone in that kind of experience. And so the this time of year can be particularly difficult for people, but it's not just at this time of year. The message is about all year long, how we deal with a situation in which we may feel like I can't stand this anymore. I can't sustain in this depression or in this anxiety or in this relationship with these problems or facing this burden of debt or this guilt about what I did wrong or this this failure in, of myself in school or in work, my demotion. I can't bear it. Sometimes it's just people feeling like I can't bear life. I can't take another week like this. And the present moment becomes a burden for people who don't see any hope for something better ahead. Now, have you noticed something that means that the present moment can be a problem for people who are excited about what's about to come for people who are doubtful about what's to come for people who are grieving what has come and for people who don't see anything good coming. I think that's almost everybody. So the present moment can be a problem and sometimes what God calls us to do in the present moment makes that problem even harder, not by God's desire to somehow punish or, or, uh, or perversely enjoy our distress, but because it's part of the process by which we are going to be matured. People waiting for an answer from God and God doesn't seem to be giving the answer. That's a long moment. That can be days, weeks, months, years. Some people might feel like I've been waiting my whole life for the answer to this thing. And you know what, next week, we're going to hear about that on Christmas Eve. A man named Simeon, who had been told by the Lord, before you die, you will see the savior come. But it was getting closer and closer. How long do I have to wait? There was another woman there named Anna who'd been a widow for 80 some years. You'll hear about those stories. But today I wanna talk about the Magi, following the star in the dark of the night, not even knowing exactly where they were going. I wanna talk about Joseph hearing the voice of an angel in a dream in the dark of the night and being told to go somewhere and do something that seemed unreasonable to the rational mind. And so God calls us to follow him down some challenging paths. God calls us to trust him and wait for the good things that are coming and in a way, it's like, at least at Christmas time, we might make this comparison children who are waiting, do not open until December 25th because there's something good planned, but it has an appointed time. So trust that what God has in store for you is good and be patient in following that. Now, what if the challenge of the present moment arises precisely because you're following God in that path? That's something that God says, expect it. Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, you're going to experience hardship. And in fact, the more closely you follow me and the more you let me show up in you by my spirit, the more the people in the world will react to you the way they reacted to me. You know what that means? That means that some people will actually have an encounter with God because of you, because the spirit of God can use you to reach them. That's good. That means that God can use you, O believer, O disciple of Jesus. He can use you to heal people, not by your power, but his at work in you. You're the wrapping. He's the gift. And that charismata, the grace gifts of God can move in you to bring blessing to someone else. But it also means that when they rejected Jesus, when they betrayed Jesus, when they mocked and denigrated Jesus and prosecuted and executed Jesus, then you and I should not be surprised if the same comes to us. And how will we be patient in that present moment? The early church was filled with people who not only had to persevere, but they were persevering to a finish line in which they lost their head, in which they hung them up, in which they fed them to lions or to the swords of enemies. And those people went faithfully to that end because they believed in the God who would do something greater even beyond their life. Today, you and I may not face such things, although if we did, it would be good to know that we had the faith in us to face them in the Lord. But what we constantly face is opportunities to compromise our integrity, to compromise our faith, to silence our witness. And I want to ask you, how will the gift of God be seen and known in you if we do those things? We've got to let that light shine through us. And sometimes the way that the light shines brightest Well, do you remember when we were studying in the book of Judges, you members of PCF, how Gideon had that army that had all of their lamps in clay pots? They had to break the pot to let the light shine. And so the apostle Paul reminds us, we have this glory of God in the earthen vessels, the clay box of our flesh. And sometimes it's the breaking of our flesh, the trial, the hardship, that allows us to see the gift of God inside and let it shine out. We need to trust the Lord and we need to trust him patiently. The way the bridegroom trusted the Lord when his bride was found to be pregnant and it wasn't by him. Joseph engaged to to Mary and Mary comes and says, I'm pregnant, but don't worry. The father is the Holy Spirit. Sure it is. What am I going to do? Still marry you? I don't think so. But then the Lord speaks in the dark of night. Get up and go and do this. The scriptures speak in the dark night of our lives. If you're in the midst of a present moment that you can't bear May I tell you that the way to open your gift will be to open the word. Open the word. Sometimes people don't come to the Bible until they're absolutely desperate, and then they think, I don't know where to look. Open it anywhere and look anywhere. Yeah, you might find something that makes no sense to you. You know what that means? Read some more and learn about it. If your car broke down and you had never read the owner's manual and probably most people in the room have never read their owner's manual, you know why? Because you've got a mechanic that you trust or you've got a mechanic that you don't trust and that's your point of anxiety. But I'll tell you something, if you tried to open the manual and get right to what you need, even with the index and all of that, it's not enough information for you without having some kind of context by reading the word, by opening it regularly, by integrating it daily into our lives, we have an opportunity to hear from the Lord so that when we are downcast, we can hear in the word, look up and seek the Lord because your salvation draws near because the kingdom of God is not far. And in fact, the wise men are called wise men, the Magi, because they knew the scriptures and they read the scriptures and the scripture says there's a star that's going to rise. So they looked through the skies based on what they read in the word. And when they found that regent that was promised, that regal king who is the Christ, they bowed down. Wealthy, mighty, learned men, bowing down before a baby that had been born in a manger because they recognized that he came from God. I wanna look at these uh, sections of scripture briefly with you this morning before we conclude our time of teaching, let's talk about the bridegroom who was told to get up and go in the middle of the night. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came to be about, according to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 1. You can look there with me, starting in verse 18. Jesus' mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Now, Joseph couldn't believe that that was the case, because obviously, if he had genuinely believed that was the case, he would have continued with his plans. But he felt quite naturally, quite righteously, I mean, quite understandably, at least, that Mary had gotten pregnant in the more natural way. Maybe he presumed that she wasn't in her right mind. Maybe he presumed that something had happened that she wasn't in control of and somebody had had their way with her in any case some things are notable about joseph's character that really recommend him you can see why the lord looked at this man and said i choose him to be the adoptive father for me for my son for jesus because joseph who would have very understandably been hurt angry, confused, and possibly, probably even vindictive, instead has concern for Mary. He doesn't want her to be disgraced. He doesn't want her to be ashamed. Legally, in that society at that time, he would have had the right to prosecute her because an engagement had the legal force of marriage, even though it had not been consummated. He could have prosecuted her for infidelity. She could have even faced capital punishment for that. He didn't want that course for her. Whether he felt that she was guilty of that or not, we know she was not. But others, as you can rightly imagine, would have immediately assumed that was the case. Or at the very least, there would have been a very bad case against her. And Joseph didn't want that. He wanted something good for her. He would divorce her quietly to avoid her shame or any kind of legal hardship. And there's obviously a tenderness of heart from him to her. But he also considered it. He didn't take immediate action. He waited. Imagine how weighty that moment of waiting was for Joseph. I mean, how long does it take to figure out? I didn't create that child. I know that's not my child and I know you're pregnant. How long does one really have to think? What am I going to do in this situation? But Joseph doesn't make a knee jerk reaction. I think you and I can presume that as he considered, he prayed, he waited on the Lord and he probably wondered why, why God? I thought this was the right relationship. He was a righteous man, but he was concerned and confused, no doubt. And then an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Now, here's what you can hear in that statement, don't be afraid, that some part of Joseph, some part of him wanted to believe. Some part of him thought Mary's honest and God is amazing and a Messiah is coming and maybe this baby is someone special. But can I really believe that to the degree that I put my whole life and reputation on the line? Because guess what happens if Mary and Joseph get married. And everybody knows that Mary was pregnant before the marriage date in a society in which that was not just frowned upon, but was absolutely prohibited. Who's going to believe that Joseph wasn't the father? You see, in marrying Mary, Joseph also marries his reputation to her. And he comes under the scrutiny of the suspicion that, well, you know, those two, (laughs) they couldn't wait. He was afraid, afraid to believe the impossible, afraid of the implications for his reputation, afraid that he might be losing it, going a little nuts. And the angel said, Don't be afraid. Believe. God is in this. What she is conceived, what is in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son. And you're going to give him the name Jesus, which means salvation comes from God. God is the savior because he will save his people from their sins. And in fact, all of this was already written about in the word. It was already prepared. The Virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. And they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. That's the verse that we began Advent with this year. That's the verse that we began this series with. And as we arrive at the appointed time of the last Sunday in Advent, I want to remind you that that's where the hope is in God who is with us. It doesn't mean that every dream that we have at night is a word from God. It does mean that God speaks. He speaks in the day and he speaks in the night. He speaks through his word and through his messengers. He speaks by his spirit. God is speaking. Hear him. Consider your choices. Consider choices the crises that you're at, consider the present moment and offer it up to him. And when he speaks and he says, go and do, then do what God tells you. When it's consistent with what the word says, when it's consistent with what the spirit does, then do not fail to do what God calls you to do. Joseph woke up and he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him. Think of the faith. Think of the trust. Think of how his patience was rewarded. He took Mary home and his wife right away, but he did not consummate the marriage until she gave birth to that son who he named Jesus. In other words, he did everything that the angel of the Lord, that the Lord himself had called him to do, which was get up and go, get up and go, get up and do the thing that God has called you to do. Some of us are lacking our get up and go in these days. Are you feeling weary? Are you feeling weighed down? Is the present moment a problem because you're burdened with a sense of lacking the energy because you don't have the light and the hope ahead of you? Let the Lord speak in the darkness of your night with a bright word that says, don't be afraid, believe, hear me, follow me. I will give you the get up and go. I will give you the hope and the energy. I will infuse you with faith and guide you with my word. And your obedience will be a blessing. It'll be a gift. Sometimes we have the right motives and our ideas are completely understandable, but we have a wrong understanding of the situation. You and I need to be willing to let God change our perspective and correct our course. You know, We're going to be talking in times ahead about how we take this patience in the purpose of God and persevere on the line that he's called us to. But if you and I are trying to run our race purely in our own strength, God has already said, that's not my purpose. My purpose is not satisfied by you making yourself stronger and stronger and stronger out of your own resource. My purpose, my grace is realized in your weakness, in your dependence, not to make you lesser but to make you more, more dependent, more clarity of the guidance of God, and ultimately more strength of God in you. Not more strength of the flesh, more strength of the spirit. And that means that if we get too tied to our idea of doing things the way that we want to do them, we actually may go in the wrong direction. Let God say to you, you're doing the wrong thing, do the right one. Let God correct you and find the blessing of the moment when you implement God's clear guidance. There are times where we have to wait on the Lord, where we say, I don't know. But once God gives clarity, don't look for the better answer of something else. Well, that's what I think I see in the Bible, but I'll find a different path. No, implement what God has shown you to do. Let Jesus order your days and your ways. And you know what? Gifts will unfurl in your life every time, every season, even in the darkest, hardest moments, actually, especially in the darkest, hardest moments. That's when Jesus will help you the most. You can come to learn to love him in the challenges and you'll come to seek him in the scriptures because you know you need him. You'll start looking up for the Lord. You'll start seeking him in the ways of your life. After Jesus was born as was promised in Bethlehem of Judea. King Herod was the king of that region and wise men from the East. We call them the Magi. They came to Jerusalem and they said, where is the one that was born? We saw his star. Remember the star that was prophesied in the book of numbers in the Old Testament. We saw it in the East and we've come to find where he was actually born. We know it's here in Israel. And when the king heard this, he was very distressed because he was king. He didn't want the Messiah to come. He wanted the glory to be his. His authority he wanted undisturbed. So his heart was disturbed because his ego and position were threatened. And all Jerusalem was in a stir about it as well. So the king called together the chief priests and scribes. The king knew there was a scripture, but he didn't read it. He called his experts. Please don't let me be, for you, your proxy for reading the word. I love to help you and I to explore the scriptures together. I am here to help you, not do it for you. And I'm not angry about that. What I'm saying is, don't don't give to me what rightly belongs to you. And if you do, I already have a joy for the scriptures. I will keep reading it, but I can't give to you what you alone can find by reading the scriptures yourself. I can help you to learn more about them. And others of our pastors can help that. And actually you and I can learn more together because I have a lot yet to learn about those scriptures too. But what you must have is a desire to eat for yourself, to feed and feast yourself on the word. So do that. The King Herod didn't have that. So he called the experts and says, where is this Messiah gonna be born? And they said, Bethlehem in the land of Judah, which was written about in the prophet Micah. So Herod calls the Magi and he says, yeah, you know, this is where uh it's written. Now, when did you see the star? And exactly where? And just tell me all the details. Because Herod is thinking, I want to find this child and snuff that life out. I want to extinguish that light before it becomes a competition to mine. But he knows that the Magi want to worship this Messiah. So he says to them, You go and find it. Find the child. Search carefully, and as soon as you find him, let me know I want to come and worship him with you. Not everything that people say is actually what they mean. But the Magi meant what they said. And so they went searching and following that star again on route to Bethlehem. And when they saw it, they were overjoyed that it was visible to them again. In other words, they didn't let anything inhibit their effort to follow the things of the Lord. They looked to the scriptures with diligence. And because the scriptures told them to look to the skies, they looked attentively to the skies and they followed the Lord with faith. It wasn't just about some astronomical prediction. It was about a faith stance in their heart. We believe that this God of the scriptures is real and we believe that his promises come true. And so we're going to come to understand this word better as best we can by God's help because we believe that there's life in this word. There's help in this word. Read the Bible to understand it, not just to fulfill some kind of obligation. Don't read the Bible as checking off a box that says, Here, God, look, I'm good. I read Scripture today. That does nothing for you and doesn't impress God. Or if it does anything for you, it's very limited. You know, if you you interact with the Scriptures at all, that's something. But don't just read to read words. Read to understand. Read and speak. Read and study, take a class, join PSOM, get involved in a Bible study, get deeply into the word. There's lots of helps online. There's lots of plans and programs. This new year, make a plan to be in the word every day. It doesn't have to be long, but the more you're in it, the more you'll want to be in it, and the more you'll understand it, and the more you'll be able to apply it. And as you apply it, God will be at work in his word, in you. He'll be at work in your world and you'll be able to follow him, just like the Magi. Follow him with the perspective of, I want to worship him. I want to yield my life to him. I want to give what I have to him who has already given everything to me. That is real wisdom. That's fear of the Lord. That's reverence for God. When the Magi came to the house where the family was staying at this time, they saw the child, Jesus, with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Even though he's probably not more than two years old at this point, they are worshiping what God has done. But they did not probably fully realize even yet just who this Jesus was. Start to worship the Lord as best as you understand him right now. And God will show you more because the more you worship him, the more you see of him, the more you learn of him. And the more you learn of him, the more you love him because he is the greatest. He is love and you can't get close to him without wanting to be yet closer still. And in fact, the great gift of God is as close as you want to be, you can be that close and more. There's no limit to how close you and he can be. Let him draw you into himself through your worship. They gave your giving is a way of receiving. Your giving is a way of believing. Your giving is a way of demonstrating patient trust. The gifts you give to others, the help you give to the needy, the tithes and offerings that you give to this church and to other ministries of the Lord or other endeavors that have a righteous, worthy uh, contribution to our world. Anything you give in the name of the Lord, even if it's just a little cup of water to a kid, will never be forgotten in the kingdom. And it will not go unseen or unrewarded. But we don't go in order to get rewards. We don't give in order to get rewards. We go and we give because we've received the gift. Because in this present moment, in this present darkness, we have the light. We know the truth. We have the word. We have the Lord. We have joy. And we have help. The Magi were going to go right back the way of Herod. And they also had a dream. And the Lord made it clear to them, don't go back to that king. Don't go back to that wicked man. Go a different way. You notice a theme here? Joseph had a plan. God said, do a different thing. The Magi had a plan. God said, go a different way. And both of them did it. And they brought about blessing. When we bow our lives before the Lord and we worship him, with humility, when we ask him for help, when we look for him, even though it means we risk the fear that we might not find him where we think we need to or want to, when we're ready to worship him with everything we are and everything we have, we are going to receive, ask, and it'll be given to you. Seek the Lord and he'll give you guidance. He'll help you to discern the motives of others. As I said, not everything that everyone else says is what they really mean, but we are told in the scriptures that Jesus knew the hearts of people. He didn't need anyone to tell him that. Did he know those hearts? Because he was God. He knew them because he was anointed in the spirit. The Holy Spirit can help you understand other people's hearts, not just so that you can be alert to people who are treacherous towards you, but so that you can be sensitive to the hearts of people in need because you and I are surrounded by broken people. We are broken people. We are surrounded by hearts that people themselves don't understand. But who is it that searches the hearts? It's the Lord by His Spirit. And in His Spirit, you can understand your own heart and the hearts of people around you in a way that can make you wiser, more helpful, more peaceful, and yes, more strategic, wiser and more safe. Be eager to worship the Lord. Be ready to give. Be willing to change. How do we have patience in the present moment? Give up the need to control the outcomes and give yourself over to the one who already has everything in control. Put yourself in the hand of the one who has all things in hand. Worship God. Through your time through your treasure and through your trust and you will have peace and patience in the present and glorious good gifts from god in the future amen let's pray father that applause rises up to you as an expression of thanks to you for who you are and what you do and for your word which is so wise and right And for you, living word, Lord Jesus Christ, the logos, the one light that gives light to all people coming into the world, the light that shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot overcome it, the way, the truth and the life that is you. And Lord, many of us may be facing a situation right now in which we feel the pressure of the present to make a choice to somehow lay claim to something that hasn't yet been realized to move forward in the midst of a circumstance that seems interminable. Lord, whatever the present situation, even for those who are simply experiencing the wondrous joy of knowing that today is good and tomorrow is better because the best is yet to come in you, all of us have need to listen attentively to you, to worship diligently, reverently and honestly of you and to give ourselves to you. I pray right now, Lord, for the one who feels an inclination to reach out to you, but they're afraid the way Joseph was afraid. Is it crazy for me to do this? Are you really there? Are you really saying this? Can this be real? I pray right now, Lord, that you would speak to them. in that voice that says, get up and go, get up and walk towards me. Bring yourself to my throne, my altar. And let me alter you in the ways that will realize your potential and satisfy your soul bow down and worship lay down your worries your fears lay down all of your stress and anxiety about how to control and how to produce the outcomes you want how to get the relationship you want or make the one you have the way you want lay down your worries about money and health and things Lay, let go of all those things that are holding on to you, all that stuff that you think is so important, but you can't carry it even into the grave, much less beyond it. Let go of the habits, of the thoughts, of the lies, of the enemy that are holding on to you. Let go of those things and lay hold of me because I'm humble. I'm loving, I'm receiving, I'm forgiving, I'm good, I'm your God, I'm your maker, I'm your father, I'm your friend. Give yourself to me as I have given myself to you and be free. I just want to say somewhere there's at least a few people who are here like, is this going to go on? It is because there's people that are on the precipice of something and you're just, I don't know that I can do this. I want to ask people in the room to do this. If you will bow down your life to the Lord today, then if it's physically possible for you, just turn to the chair that you're on and kneel at it. Kneel at that chair and bow down before the Lord as a sign that you submit yourself to Him, that you trust Him. And if you're not physically able to do that, there's no shame in that. There's no problem in that. But just lean yourself in a way that expresses that. Or if you can't physically approximate even leaning your head down or whatever, just bow your soul. Bow your soul before Him right now. And take a step maybe feels a little vulnerable. You feel exhibited, but nobody's looking around. This isn't about seeing what other people are doing. This is about what are you doing? What do you believe? To whom do you belong? Whose hand do you want on you? Whose name do you want written on you? Whose blood do you want to be washed in? What savior do you claim? There is a savior who says, I claim you. I put my hand on you. I wash you in my blood. I fill you with my spirit and it's Jesus. And he says, as you bow yourself before me today, I will lift you up. As you give yourself over to me, I will give all good things to you. I will give you purpose, patience, and the power to persevere. I will give you victory. I will give you life and life more abundantly. I will give you all the good gifts of the kingdom. If you're willing to believe that, say amen. Hallelujah. Let's rise from our place. I hope you will join us this coming Saturday for our Christmas Eve candlelighting service. And a week from today, Christmas morning, we're going to celebrate the patience of God that comes in the silent night and in a sudden flight. In the times of peace and in the times of need, God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. And one of the things that God gives is good food, and this congregation knows how to do that. So we're going to pray over this food that we're about to eat. Lord, we thank you so much for this day, for this season, for this celebration, and for this party. We pray that every person here or that would be joining us will be blessed. We thank you for the food and the hands that have prepared it and so graciously share it. And we pray, Lord, that... Uh, our bodies would be strengthened by it, our fellowship would strengthen our spirits, and that this time of joy would glorify your name. I also pray a benediction over these, my brethren, your flock, that they would walk in your ways, Lord, and with your strength, that in the midst of hurry they would have peace, that in all of their planning they would have patience, that in the midst of confusion in the world they would have light and clarity in the Lord, and that they would be a light of hope, of help, and of love to others around them. Thank you, Lord, that you do that for us because of your goodness, which we declare in Jesus' name. Amen.